How are you now? How are you? We're still in the preseason. We're still talking about practice. No need for anybody to get all up in arms about anything. But of course, it's the Habs, and we are Habs fans. And you could see, you follow along with any game on Twitter, man, win or lose in the preseason. People are absolutely losing their minds. Um, but look, let's uh, let's get into this game against the Toronto Maple Leafs. As I have been doing lately, I'm not going to tell you what the score was, but that's what we're here to talk about. The Habs with their second game of a back-to-back against the Leafs in Montreal. Hello and welcome to another preseason episode of the bottom six minutes podcast presented by Habs Eyes and the Prize. I am Matt Drake and uh, this one started out pretty slow similar to the last game. I think anybody who listened to the last episode knows I wasn't too thrilled with that game just in terms of its overall entertainment value and uh, it was kind of the same thing in in the early goings of this one. Just not a whole lot going on. Uh, Matthias Norlander had a good chance from Sean Farrell uh, after a zone entry Uh, but almost seven minutes into the game Matthew Nyes gets the puck behind the net in the Habs zone, and just with a weak wraparound. It wasn't even a good or quick one. Uh, I felt like Semyon Montembeau should have stopped that one, but it goes in. Look, lesson learned. Get over to your post a little bit quicker next time. One nothing for the Leafs. But the Habs are clearly the stronger side in this game so far. Up to that goal and afterwards. They are dominating the puck at 5-on-5. Five five. They are getting way more shots, way more shot attempts. Uh, they're hemming the Leafs in their zone for extended periods of time. Martin Jones... Uh, in net, kind of standing on his head for the Leafs, looking really good between the pipes. First penalty of the game is uh, kind of late in the period against uh, Leah Sanderson. And before the Leafs can even get anything going, Emil Heineman goes, gets a chance, and gets hooked on that chance, and ends the threat, makes it 4-on-4. And then we get our first taste of the Habs' power play after the 4-on-4, and it was atrocious. Even with better personnel, they had Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield out there this time, they looked like shit and that was a taste of things to come more on that at the end of the recap so we go into the second period and it's still one nothing for the Leafs uh early second uh Uri Slavkovsky actually gets a straight up breakaway from the from the blue line in makes a nice move and gets robbed by Martin Jones again dominant at five on five the Montreal Canadiens but they can't get anything past Martin fucking Jones completely completely dominant uh but they're just struggling to score and then of course Kirby Doc off for a high stick. This time it's the Leafs on the power play. The Habs, for whatever reason, the entire penalty kill was trying to fly the zone because Nick Suzuki was going up the boards, but he's being chased. Puck gets knocked off his stick, and it's a 2-1-0 the other way for Alex Steves and Fraser Minton. Uh, Steves throws it over to Minton. He puts it in and makes it 2-0. Shots at this point were 18-7 in favor of the Montreal Canadiens, and the score is 2-0 Leafs. Go figure. Habs get another power play late in the period, and it's just absolutely horrible. And... Not only are they horrible, but they end up getting scored on. Not shorthanded, but they end up getting scored on anyways. As the penalty was coming to an end, the Habs are finally starting to get some good puck movement going on, looking like they're about to threaten. And then Uri Slavkovsky takes a shot. It ricochets off the glass all the way down to the other end. Nick Robertson, who was in the box serving the penalty, comes out, picks it up, skates in, goes forehand far side, and beats Samuel Montembeau. And now it's 3-0 for the Toronto Maple Leafs, despite being absolutely ran over at 5-on-5. They go into the third with a 3-0 lead. Holy shit. We go into the third period. Uh, Jakob Dobish actually out to start that one in net for the Habs. I don't know why. Um, I don't, like, really, the only goal that I had took an issue with from Montembeau was the first one on that wraparound. The other two I thought were fine. I think maybe this was just an issue of, 
you know, getting them out of there. Maybe they plan to do it the whole time because they wanted to give Dobish uh, another period. I, I don't know, uh, but I really don't think that it was uh, through any fault of Moltan Bose. Uh, but anyways, they get an early power play. It's absolute garbage again. Another power play, absolute garbage. Honestly, it's, you know, I'm not going to go on the rant about it yet. I'm going to go on a very small rant about it at the end of the recap. Let's just finish this off because guess what? The Montreal Canadiens finally get a goal, and it is through no help of their power play whatsoever. As a matter of fact, they're killing a penalty. They get an offensive zone draw while killing, and Alex Newhook wins it back. Uh, Caden Gooley activates immediately. He starts kind of moving out to the side, like a little bit further wide, and then down in the zone. Johnny Kovacevic gets the puck off the faceoff draw, spots Gooley, hits him in stride, and Gooley snipes one. Beautiful shot. 3-1. to one. The Habs are back in this. They've got a little bit of life. Didn't mean shit. <laughs> Didn't mean shit. Uh, they pulled Dobish late for the extra skater. It was all for naught. They did get a couple of chances with the extra skater, but... Uh, that was your final score, three to one in favor of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Habs, if you care about this, are now one and three on their preseason so far. Let's do silver lining of the night before I do my complaint about the power play. Um, silver lining of the night, I think this one should be pretty obvious to anybody who watched that game. It's Caden Gooley. Uh, he was the best player on the ice, uh, bar none, and I'm putting him even above Caulfield and Suzuki in terms of sheer quality of game there. Uh, He was magnificent. He made some really nice defensive plays. Uh, There was one in the first period where uh, it was him and Rhinebacker out there together, and the Leafs had basically a two-on-one against Rhinebacker, and Rhinebacker did a good job pushing the puck carrier to the outside a little bit. He tried to throw it back into the middle, and Caden Gooley just emptied his gas tank to get back and get a piece of that and send it into the corner. So uh, just really great work from him, particularly in his own zone, and also in transition, man. He's making some excellent breakout passes uh he's chipping in offensively we saw it with obviously that great activation on the um on the shorthanded goal that they scored or that he scored rather uh he's a complete player man i I think i said this in uh, one of the earlier uh episodes as well he's ready for top pair minutes in the nhl he looks ready for top pair minutes in the nhl now i know this was against the leafs team where there was a lot of probably toronto marley's players out there a lot of ahl guys but they still had some veterans, and still, you have to just look at the body of work. You have to look at at how comfortable he looks out there. Um, this is a guy who's you know coming off a season where he missed a lot of games due to injury, and um, I'm, I, I think he's absolutely ready, and he looks ready to take over the Montreal Canadiens' blue line. Uh, looked good with an A on his sweater, too, by the way, as an assistant captain. I got to say, uh, might be something to consider moving forward on a more permanent basis. Now... That's your silver lining of the night. I will give you some more silver linings as well, or good things that I saw in the game. But I want to get to my power play gripe, uh, because I made a pretty significant part of the last episode about how shitty the power play was. But I did mention, you know, when they have their regular personnel, maybe they'll look a little bit better, because of course you'll have Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki out there. That's going to make a difference. It didn't. It didn't. And to me, when you look at how badly the Montreal Canadiens dominated this game at 5-on-5, five five, and I mean dominated, they had like double the shot attempts. Double the shot attempts. Shot clock, not even close. They're, they dominated that game at 5-on-5. Five five. It was a walkthrough for them. So when you look at how good they were at 5-on-5, five five, how often they were able to hem the Leafs in their own zone, how much they owned the puck, how can it be that when the other team loses a player, so now you're only playing against four you can't even fucking gain the zone properly. I'm going to tell you. Because for whatever reason, the Habs, it seems like their strategy is, well, you know what would be a good idea? 
maybe if we did a drop pass in the neutral zone to Nick Suzuki and then everybody just fucking stood flat-footed on the outside of the blue line and waited for him to gain the zone. And then after that, I don't know, something's going to happen. Maybe Cole Caulfield will get a shot. You have no earthly strategy to actually get the shots that you need to get. There was also, when they did get set up in the zone, (coughs) there was just too many passes sometimes. Sorry for coughing. I'm still a little bit under the weather. Just too many passes. They had some opportunities where they could have shot. Like, Yaroslavkovsky was guilty of it a couple of times. Kirby Doc was guilty of it a couple of times. It's like they're waiting for this perfect shot to materialize, and they're expecting the other team to make it easy for them. The Leafs didn't do anything special on the penalty kill. They were mostly just standing there in a diamond formation and just kind of waiting. And that's all they had to do because the Habs were making it easy on them. They weren't really trying to get inside whatsoever. They were just content passing it around the edges and, and waiting for something to happen. And the Leafs, perfectly content to just sit in their diamond, wait for the right opportunity to tip a pass, and they did. And it worked more often than not. And it's it's at the point where I know this is preseason. I'm not going to start talking about firing coaches, but they should be considering firing Alex Burrows if he's responsible for this absolute shit show of a power play that they have. It should not be possible for you to be that much better than a team at 5-on-5 five five and then somehow get infinitely worse the moment that the other team takes a player off. The Leafs could have won that game, and I not I shit you not, the Leafs could have won that game if they just put four guys out there the whole time and just said, you know what, fuck it. We're just going to skate four dudes, and you guys are going to have a 60-minute power play. And I really think the Leafs might have won it because for the Habs, as soon as there was one guy missing on the other team, they just forget how to hockey, and uh, it, it bothered me. It bothered me a lot. Uh, it's going to be a problem this season, I think. Uh, I was, you know, I held back a little bit in the last episode. I know I was a little upset about how bad it looked, um, but I did hold back a little bit. Now I'm, you know, now that I've seen it, again, extended multiple opportunities with the best players that they have to offer, uh, I really don't think it's going to be very good this season unless something changes drastically uh, in terms of their strategy, which may require a coaching change. I don't know. Um, but look, too early to be firing coaches anyways. Uh, it's just my thoughts on the matter after watching uh, horrible power play after horrible power play. Now, I managed to sandwich in a little bit of a complaint in between some good. So let's talk about the other good things that we saw. Uh, I already mentioned Caden Gooley. He's your silver lining of the night. Uh, I got to bring up as well. We found a line. We have found a line, folks. And it's the line of Rafael Harvey-Pinard with Kirby Doc and Yuri Slavkovsky. That works. It works really well. And I think they, they, they have to stick with that going into the season. Absolutely. This is the best that I've seen Uri Slavkovsky look in any of the games that he's played in a Montreal Canadiens uniform has been on this line. So, you know, you want your first overall pick to take a step forward this season. Obviously, you want to take a big step forward really compared to last year. Uh, and this, I think this is the way to do it. Uh, I don't think anybody is going to make an argument that they should change that up. You know, maybe they, you, if, if things don't start well, like if, if this is just a flash in the pan in preseason and, uh, you know, they get 10, 15 games into the season and none of them are scoring, then you could, I guess, make an argument to, to change things up. But right now, with how good that line looks, I would not mess with it whatsoever. I'm letting them play the rest of their preseason games together and I'm starting them. Night one, opening night, those three are going out. Uh, I might even make them the, the starting lineup. I might make them the first ones out there. Because uh, they look really good together, and it's good news, right? They're, they're, finally, it seems like the offense is not going to be limited to Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield like it was last year. Like last year, the offense was dry outside of those two, 
And now I think they've really got a line here that can go in behind them and, and provide you with some secondary scoring. So that's fantastic news. Uh, it might make the, the regular season games a lot more bearable for us this season. Outside of that, um, let's go with uh, William Trudeau. Uh, I've been really impressed with him throughout the course of camp, and I was even more impressed with him in this game. Um, his puck handling has come way up since junior, way up. He's making confident, poised moves with the puck. There was a point in the first period, right, where Slavkovsky, he kind of skated himself into trouble coming over the offensive blue line, and he skates himself into trouble, he's about to lose the puck, and then he loses it, and William Trudeau somehow manages to recognize that, stop, corral it with one hand, make a dangle, get in, and get a shot on goal. Obviously, he didn't score on it, but the, the point is, you, you look at that play overall, and like it was about to go nowhere. Potentially, it could have even been going the other way, uh, for what could have been an odd man rush for the Leafs. But William Trudeau, with quick action, managed to turn it into an offensive opportunity for him. Um, he's been doing things like that all throughout camp and all throughout the preseason. Um, he's making a real case for himself here. I, I don't know what the future holds. I mean, I thought Joshua Roy was I didn't think he was going to get cut, and he got cut today uh, and sent down to the Laval camp. Trudeau didn't get cut. Now, that's also probably part and parcel because he was playing today, but he's making a very compelling case to not get cut at all. Um, he's making a more compelling case than some of the other guys that were playing NHL games last year, like um, Justin Barron. I thought Justin Barron had a rough game. If you had to, if you asked me right now, I said, Matt, you got to pick between one of those two guys going to be in the starting lineup on opening night. I'm picking William Trudeau every day and twice on Sundays. Easy. Easy decision. Matthias Norlander had a pretty decent game. I actually enjoyed sequences of his game but if you ask me the same question one of those two guys can start opening night i'm picking william trudeau every day twice on sundays the the only defenseman out there that i for sure would pick over him was Caden gooley maybe david reinbacker david reinbacker i should mention him as a silver lining as well he had a pretty good game uh he, he looks pretty poised he had a couple of small errors but nothing too significant like i said he made a really nice play pushing that one guy out wide uh, and allowing Caden Gooley the time to come back and make a nice play on the puck. Uh, I just, again, big roundabout way for me to get back to William Trudeau. I just think that it's it's entirely possible right now, based on what we're seeing, that he is one of the best six defensemen that they have in the system. Uh, and if you're trying to have the team look any better than they were last year, what are you going to do? you got to go with the best six that you can, Right. I think right now, he's one of those best six. There's still time. Um, Justin Barron had, like I said, I thought like he had a bit of a rough game. I think the, the the main one was when he was one of the ones that flew the zone on that, uh, on the shorthanded goal that they ended up allowing. Or sorry, on the power play goal they ended up allowing where they flew the zone when they were trying to kill a penalty. <laughs> Man, no, still no idea. He was one of the ones that started skating out of the zone anyways. So there's a few rough moments, but there was also, uh, he made some really nice plays with the puck too. So there's still time, I think. There's still racetrack for him to come out ahead and end up taking a spot. Um, but man, I, I, I got to say, I really like uh, William Trudeau at this stage, and I like his chances to surprise here. Um, outside of that, Johnny Kovacevic was pretty good. Uh, Emil Heinemann was pretty good. Uh, Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield were both good. They, they were both good. They were as advertised. Particularly at 5-on-5, five five, they were good. It was just the power play where everything sucked. right? And that overshadowed all of the good that we saw in the 5-on-5 five five play. I mean, this was a dominant game for the Habs. Dominant. And 
that's where it gets a little bit frustrating. It's because, like, you know, you, you dominate that much at five on five, but you still lose. It's ridiculous that you didn't even allow, like, what? Uh, I think, I don't even think the Leafs had 40 shot attempts and the Habs had over 60. <laughs> like, it's not a game that you should be losing when you're dominating that much at five on five. And I think if you played that exact same way 10 times, I think you probably win eight or nine of them. So, Hopefully, they play like that on what's the next game? It's on Monday, I believe. Um, Because they got one more against the Leafs, and they're going back against Ottawa after that. So, look, still got some work to do for the Montreal Canadiens in this rebuild, particularly on the power play. But there are still at least some encouraging signs from some important players. Now, the last thing I want to talk about before I end the episode is the cuts that happened today, because we didn't do a, a regular podcast episode about it. We might do one tomorrow. Um, I'll have to talk to, to Pat and Jared and see what they want to do. But they did cut a lot of players today. So I'm not going to go through the whole list. I'm just going to talk about the ones that irked me. And I think you could take a wild guess who the first one's going to be. It's Joshua Roy. I don't know why they cut him so early. I would have thought get him at least one more preseason game. Um, he's one of the only guys who's been able to actually produce on the power play so far in the preseason. I would think that maybe you'd want to keep that guy around while you're trying to figure out you know, and work out some of the kinks that you clearly have in that unit. And I feel like he did enough uh, to, to be like a last cut guy, if anything, not as part of the first wave when you cut all those guys at the same time. And then I'd say the same thing for Owen Beck. Why did we send Owen Beck to back to junior this early? Like you have more time. You could have maybe even, I, th- I thought he looked good enough to get a few games uh, in the regular season before you send him back. If you want, uh, you have that flexibility without burning a year of his ELC to use him for up to nine games. Why are we not trying him out? I feel like he looked at least capable. I mean, I don't know. Um, I haven't heard an explanation from the coaching staff yet. I guess we probably won't get one, but um, at the end of the day, they cut a lot of players. The Laval roster is starting to shape up, and uh, you know these guys are going to get opportunities at some point in their careers anyways. Uh, I did always think Beck was going to go back to junior, and I did always think that maybe Roy would be best off starting in Laval but I just felt like it was it was soon to send those guys um out of the rest of them I I understood all those cuts so um yeah not the most happy of days for me as a Habs fan but it's preseason nothing for anybody to freak out about like I said at the very start of the episode we're probably going to get more cuts either tonight or tomorrow um, so look, we'll, we'll probably try to have a haps and mind it up, uh, maybe tomorrow or the day after, uh, cause it's a long weekend. So we got plenty of time, uh, to try and get some more content out for you guys and talk a little bit about how this lineup is shaking out as camp comes to a close. We're going to cut it off there. We're running what? Over 19 minutes. So c'est une soirée énorme pour les employés de soutien. Uh, we are on Spotify, Google Play, Apple, Megaphone. I'm on Twitter at DrakeMT. Drop me a follow. I would appreciate that very much. Thank you, as always, for listening. And, of course, à la prochaine. The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki Season 2 is... Marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2. Now streaming only on Disney+.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.